Welcome to the Sex Magic Podcast, where we explore the connections between sexuality and spirituality, the various cultures and traditions of sex magic, and conversations about everything in between, led by a coven of curious modern witches. If you'd like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is Sex Magic Podcast, our website is sexmagicpodcast.com, and if you want to send us an email, sexmagicpodcast at gmail.com. Today, Shady and I are joined by Paula Pavlova, which is also amazing because it is delicious Australian dessert. I know, right? Um, <laughs> Paula is a wellness entrepreneur based in the Bay Area. She goes by wellness entrepreneur because business owner, writer, yoga, meditation teacher, Reiki master, and crystal healer is kind of a mouthful. As a first-generation American and birthright citizen, Paula's unique upbringing and early exposure to generational trauma led her to study sociology and fine art in university and eventually to pursue a career in helping people find personal transformation through spiritual alignment, even if they just thought they were coming to do some yoga. Paula is the co-founder of Gaia Collective and Moonbarfison, a mindfulness-based subscription box curating a monthly delivery of crystals, self-care products, and astrological guidance. She's also an endometriosis warrior and advocate dedicated to elevating the public discourse about this mysterious, and we're doing inverted commas for our listeners, mysterious disease that affects hundreds of millions of women worldwide. Paula, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about all of the above. You you like really encapsulated me so well. <laughs> felt so fun to listen to you say that. Yeah. I was like, dang, I need to re- reword my bio now. <laughs> Setting the bar high, Paula. <laughs> Thank you. And for our listeners, Shady actually has a little bit of, well, more than a little bit, she has a connection with Paula. So Shady, would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, me and Paula do have history. (laughs) So Paula is uh, my partner for Moonbox and we've been working together for about like two years, I think, officially. Yeah, yeah. It's come by super fast. I know. And just during that time, I feel like I've gotten like a little bit, um, you know, of a peek into your journey with like endometriosis and all of that and just seeing you go through everything and all the procedures. So yeah, I'm just like excited to, you know, share whatever you have to say about that. Yeah. Thank you, Katie. You've been such an awesome partner and support system along the way. So, um, I'm like, I'm really excited to talk to you guys and, um, it's been, it's been a journey, but it's also been an awakening in so many ways. Like, even though it sounds like not so fun, (laughs) um, I think that actually acknowledging all these, uh, these not so fun parts of ourselves allow us to transform and become like so much more connected with the people around us. And, um, yeah, just, I'm so grateful for Katie. She's been an awesome partner on so many levels. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that, I think besides seeing you go through all the kind of, you know, pain with endometriosis, I feel like my first exposure to it was in middle school, I think, when one of my friends had to literally be carried to like the office because she was in so much pain. And I hadn't gotten my period at that point. So I was like, wait, like, is this how bad it's going to be? But I remember seeing it and just being like, whoa, this is, uh, this is intense. She like can't even walk. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, that's happened to me more times than I can even count. And unfortunately it's a really common thing. Like, like we said already, um, it's, it's millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions, that 200 million people affected. So it's, um, one in 10, if you do the, like the math on that one in 10 women have it. And most likely everybody who's listening knows somebody who has suffered from endometriosis, but they might not have a name for it. Cause unfortunately that's, that's kind of the tricky part is it's very underdiagnosed and it's usually not diagnosed until later in life when, when women are considering becoming pregnant or like, are you know, wanting to know more about their fertility and like trying to plan their lives and their careers. It's these, then, then it comes up um, because they're finally doing tests that could show that there might be something going on. But earlier we're not really doing it and we're often shunning, um, the concept that there might be something fundamentally wrong. And they're just assuming that it's a, it's a female problem that, that all women might suffer from on a different spectrum, but there's nothing wrong with it. So it's unfortunate because we just, we know, we know so many women that have it, but we don't really understand it. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. Like in my work with people with worms, it's so systemic how discredited and um, infantilized, I would say like the medical community, particularly in America, treats people with wombs and their ailments, like just, oh no, that's just PMS. And maybe it isn't just PMS. And also like, which begs to the larger question of like, why are we normalizing terrible, incapacitating symptoms of like issues within the body that are made manifest during our menstrual cycles? Because it's not normal to have, it might be no. common to have debilitating cramps, but it's not normal and a healthy no. sign of your body. Pelvic pain is not normal. It's just not. Like that's why, that's the biggest conclusion that I like can come to and the, the most concise way to say it to people. Like if you are feeling any symptom that is beyond, oh, I might have a little runner's cramp or maybe I feel a little tired this week because it's normal. You're exerting a lot of energy. Anything above that, something is wrong. Something is not right. And somebody should be able to help you because we are not doctors. Like people go to school for that, dedicate their lives to that and get paid buttloads of money for that. They should know what the fuck is going on. And it shouldn't take, and in most cases, in my case, it was 15 years until I got a formal diagnosis. Um, from the onset of my first symptoms. And um, that's from my period. So I believe that I had symptoms when I was like nine. So I had these crazy leg pains when I was growing up that my family always said, oh, they're just growing pains. They're just growing pains. The doctor would say they're just growing pains. But I don't think now looking back on it, I don't think they were just growing pains. And I do know that we can detect it earlier because other countries are, have further research that they've been diagnosing at like age nine. Um, and it's something that you're born with. So you really do have it all along. And there's, we could prevent it getting to the point where you have to wait 15 years. And then once they find it, you have to have surgeries and all these crazy things. I mean, I go to the doctor once a week and that's just the, the regular doctor. I also go to a pelvic floor therapist. I also go to acupuncture. I also do like at least an hour of self-care every day. That's a lot. That's a lot of dedication. That's a lot of time in order to feel like somewhat normal. And that shouldn't be the norm, right? And it shouldn't take me that long to figure all that out. So it's it's really something that um, I think is, a, is easily solvable if we just keep talking about it. If we just keep like, you know, talking to our friends and talking to our families and not being um, so shy about something that is so normal, you know, like, well, pelvic pain isn't normal, but like periods are normal. You know, we should be able to talk mm -hmm. about them and 
and understand that the degree at which women um, have such a variety of symptoms. And then we can be like, okay, well, here's what is a normal period and here's what it's not. And it's completely okay for you to, to talk about it and to be able to find help. Now, the problem is that there's just not enough doctors that know what to do. And that takes a major shift in the way that we educate doctors. So what do you do next? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, hopefully if somebody who knows more about the medical field will pick up on this and like, and actually change. And it's like, it's not exactly a spoiler alert to anyone that we live in a patriarchal society where women are systemically oppressed. But I think it's important to note that that systemic oppression also manifests in our lack of conversation around our bodies. And like you're saying, like if we were able to say, oh, this is happening to me, does that happen to you? We might be able to identify these um, these not normal but common issues sooner. Yes. Would you be comfortable speaking a little bit about your kind of personal journey with endometriosis? Because I'm definitely curious like how you found out, what happened during that horrible and very common period in between like having issues and having them resolved. And my interest is very piqued about these weekly doctor visits and an hour of self-care. Like I just kind of want to hear everything that you're going yeah. to be sharing about that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, I don't, it's such a, a long story, so I'm not sure exactly where to start, but I guess, um, my first symptoms that were like, holy shit, there's something really wrong with me. Um, was the first time I ever used a tampon, I think. So I had, I've been thinking a lot about it lately, trying to trace it back. I had one cycle that was like totally fine. My first one. And I, it happened on my 13th birthday, which is like, of course, you know, poetic. And then the next, um, month I woke up and I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. I have my period. I put a tampon in. I'm like 13 years old. And I just collapsed. Like I totally like I fell to the floor. I had just woken up. I was going to take a shower. I was butt naked and I collapsed onto the floor. I was home alone with my little brother and I just started screaming from the bathroom and he called 911. And I thought, I really thought I was dying. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I never felt anything like that before. And it felt like just someone was stabbing me like from the inside. And so the doctors came, they immediately shot me up with morphine. Like that's the first thing they did, which is, I think also fucking ridiculous. I mean, I was 13 years old. Um, it was insane. That was the first time I'd ever like got high. Like I, it was in, it was the most like just traumatic experience for a 13 year old. And then I, I get to, um, the ER, they, I'm, I'm kind of like at that point I'm, I'm feeling fine, obviously, cause I'm on morphine. Um, and they're, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, this is being a woman. Here you go. Here's some painkillers. Go home maybe get on birth control if your parents will allow it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I go home. <laughs> um, and, you know, actually it might've been a, a little bit longer than one cycle. It might've, cause I think I might've been home for the first time from boarding school. Uh, so I'm not sure how, sure how long it was a little bit after I got for a while, it wasn't painful. And then it, and then it hit and it was soon after it started. And I, you know, I just continued taking painkillers once a month since I was like a little girl, pretty much. I mean, at the time I didn't think I was a little girl, but I definitely was like, I was very young. I was in high school and 
Um, I didn't tell my boarding school that I had them because obviously like that would have been a big problem. Um, and you know, it was just, it was, it was challenging for years. I just managed it with painkillers because I did try the birth control eventually, but it made me feel like shit. Like it made me have terrible mood swings. Um, like, I mean, things that most people would probably classify as like manic depression and, um, just like I would have massive panic attacks over a variety of different things, but that also had to do with the fact that I was going through a significant amount of trauma in my family. My, my father had passed away only a year before I started my period, um, very unexpectedly. And it was like an incredible, incredibly traumatic experience for everyone in my family. Um, and then that continued, like there was other deaths in the family and I was very young and I was at boarding school and my parents were super absent from when I was a very young kid prior to all of that stuff happening. So I was at this place where I just complete, completely turned inward and, um, I developed eating disorders and all sorts of terrible things to cope with, my cycle and all. And, and at the time I didn't understand that, but now looking back on it, where I've recovered from all these things, I'm like, okay, all of it connects. Every decision I ever made in my life was because of my pain. And because of the fact that it was easier to just numb myself out to it. And by doing all those things, um, I was able to just c- control when I felt pain or when I felt anything at all, specifically with my eating disorder because there were so many things that I felt like were outside of my control, including when my endometriosis attacks would strike. So those, that like stabbing thing that I talked about continued for probably like every third cycle. And I learned to manage it with the painkillers. And then sometimes like once a year, probably maybe twice a year would get so bad that I thought that maybe something else was wrong again. And I would either call 911 or um, my boarding school would, if somebody was there, or if I was out in public, like a stranger would. So it was, it was a lot. And also it racked up a lot of medical bills for my family, which was also not pleasant. I didn't understand that when I was younger because they, you know, they just paid for it. But when, when it started to happen once, when I was in college and older, obviously I paid for it and, um, I started to understand how crazy it was. And then when I was about 22, at that point, I never even heard the word endometriosis. This is 13 to 22. No one even said the word endometriosis. They said ovarian cysts or whatever. And then, yeah, 22, I was visiting my friend from college. I, um, I was living in DC. I'd, I'd graduated, but my friend was still uh, finishing up. And I went down to um, see her final show. She was also a fine art major. She's one of my very best friends still today. And um, one, one of the days I was there visiting... Um, I had another attack and I went to the emergency room there because it was one of the worst ones I've ever experienced. It happens really badly when I'm particularly tired and I haven't been taking care of myself, which will get me to the self-care portion. Um, and then, yeah, I was there, same thing, except this time the nurse actually at the end, right after the morphine, same cycle of stuff. She was like, Hey, have you ever heard of endometriosis? And I was like, no, ma'am, I have not. <laughs> um, and you know, I get frustrated because it's just such a repeat. And, um, and it's hard to like be, I don't know, at that point I'd gotten very cynical. And uh, she said, you know, why don't you talk to your gyno about it? And I was like, what do you think I've been doing? Like, that's what I've been doing for all these years. I've been going to gynecologists. I think I'd seen eight gynecologists at that point, different ones. And I'd go to the same one a couple of times. They wouldn't be able to help me. We tried the same thing over and over again. I'm like, okay, see somebody else. Um, so I went home where I Googled it. Of course, what do you do? You Google it. Um, and it said 
all the symptoms that I have, like to a T, the mood swings, the migraines, the extreme fatigue. Like sometimes I wouldn't even be able to open my eyes. Like I'd be laying in bed and it'd feel like my eyelids were just stuck shut. Like I'd have to like literally peel them open because I was so, so tired. It was always when I'd be ovulating and when I'd have my periods, then I basically would have like a week and a half of normalcy per month because leading up to it, you know, and then the crescendo afterwards and the boobs, man, the boobs like so heavy, you can't even walk. They're just like bouncing and they hurt so bad. Um, and so yeah, it was just, it was a lot of stuff. And anyways, where was I? I, I learned what it was. I was like, okay, this is what it is. And then I started going to the doctor and saying, okay, I have endometriosis. I went to doctor after doctor. They thought, like, literally thought I was crazy because the minute that you diagnose yourself, they don't even want to hear it anymore because that's the other problem is back to the patriarchal thing and back to like this like weird division, like that the healthcare system doesn't quite seem to understand what how patients are suffering and how they can truly help them. They just assume that if you're self-diagnosing or if you're consulting Dr. Google, then you're crazy. And they just don't want to help you. And then when once I tell them that I didn't have a surgery, which is the only way to formally diagnose endometriosis, they pretty much were just like, I can't help you. And it, that continued for a while until I, until about two years ago, I started to have way worse episodes where um, it would affect my, my bowels and I would, I would lose complete control of everything down there. Um, and I would faint and I'd yeah, fall and hit my I, head. And I think I was actually with you maybe one of the times where I think we were at some meditation place thing where you were like showing some moon box stuff afterwards. And I came and met up with you and you were like, on the floor. Maybe you don't, maybe you're in too much pain. You don't remember. I, but. Honestly, I, I think that might've been, I, I, there's, it's happened so many times. It's hard for me to keep, keep track of all the times yeah. that it's happened. And now that you say it, I totally remember, but yes, like I, I did not think of that. Like that there are so many more. I like there's happened in grocery stores. Where I literally am crawling on the floor and had to leave all my groceries and like had to like have somebody like come help me or like, I, at the Chinese embassy, when I was getting my visa just recently, I fainted and like was like lit, literally like bleeding on the Chinese embassy floor. And the upside to that one is that they rushed my visa and I didn't have to wait there all day like most people. So Damn. you win some, you lose some. <laughs> but you know, there's it's it's um it's been quite a journey. And I you know all of this sounds terrible, but I I want to emphasize like I am grateful for every single moment because it led me to here and I. I think that had I given into a lot of the treatments that a lot of these doctors had suggested earlier that would have masked all of these symptoms, which, which is what happens to most women, I wouldn't understand the urgency of doing something about it. Um, and now that like I have, I really think I'm on the other end. I mean, there's still symptoms that I'm dealing with and there's still ups and downs, but it's nothing like it used to be. Um, I, sorry, it's like making me a little emotional. My heart is like beating in my chest. Give me a second. Um, now that I found a doctor that like really could actually treat it properly, uh, I can look back at all of that and say like, you know, it all happened for a reason. And um, I'm, I, I'm so much, I would so much prefer to experience that than to be one of the many, many women that are on birth control and, um, and if that's you, like if either of you or anyone listening, like there's nothing wrong with being on it, but you have to be aware of what it's actually doing to you. 
And if you're somebody who's on it and you're also diagnosed with depression or you have an eating disorder or bipolar disorder or anything that's like, you know, you feel is a separate thing, I would really consider if perhaps getting off of the birth control and changing your lifestyle might make that symptom go away. Because I really believe that even endometriosis and even all the autoimmune disorders that we're told are chronic have a cure. And you might continue to have the disease for the rest of your life, but that disease, disease, actually understanding it and knowing it reminds your body how to come back to ease because there's, you got there somehow, right? So like, if you can recognize it and understand it rather than mask it and pretend that all these symptoms are completely separate, your body actually can relearn the pathways back to feeling healthy. And that might mean changing your lifestyle completely. That might mean having difficult conversations with people in your life, but it's possible. And there's no point in continuing to do whatever it is you're, you're expected to do if you feel like shit all the time. And I think that that's um, you know, what, it, what it comes down to. If you don't have your health, you, you just don't have anything at all. And I didn't really understand that until it got so bad that I had no choice until I was literally shitting myself and fainting and like, you know, things that were so debilitating that it forced me to be like, okay, I really, I got to take a step back. I got to take care of this. Um, and I didn't think it was all related. I didn't, I really didn't until I came out the other end and I was like, holy shit, I really did address all of these things that are supposed to just just address my endometriosis and everything else got better. My moods got better. My, you know, so I could go on and on, but long story short, I'll wrap it up. I found a doctor that um, specializes in endometriosis. I stopped like just going from gynecologist to gynecologist, which I also didn't understand before. If you have all these symptoms, see a specialist who only deals with endometriosis and they'll know what to do. They'll shine the fluorescent light so that they can see all the ablations because a lot of doctors just look and they're like, oh, nothing's wrong because then the lesions are clear. So they need light to be able to like appear. So they're like, oh, that's a foreign tissue from the inside of your organ that somehow ended up on the outside of your organ, which is what endometriosis is. And then it causes the organs to stick together, attach to your ligaments, to your sacroiliac joints, to, well, not to the actual joint itself, but it tugs on everything. So your, your joints feel look really tight. It causes inflammation that like makes your whole body super fatigued and your joints and your whole body might click. It causes a lot of things that really just affect every single, every single day of your life. Um, and it, if you do do the treatment, it will change. And the treatment does include self-care practices, which for me every morning is meditation. I do Reiki on myself. Um, and I think that there's really simple ways to do that. It's really just like sending yourself good vibes, telling yourself you love yourself. There's formal ways as well. Um, and if you want to get into that, you know, we could talk further about it, but I really think it's just reminding your body that you love it and that you're grateful for it. And that every single breath counts for at least like five minutes every morning. And then once you do five regularly, you'll want to do 10 and you'll want to do 15. And then it starts to feel so good. Um, so that's step one. And then the food that you eat is super important as well. Like not like really avoiding dairy and gluten and soy. Soy, the most importantly, is, is going to change your life. Um, and I'm not a purist. I mean, I eat these things from time to time, obviously. <laughs> um, and then regulating alcohol also is really important. That's the hardest one for me, I'm going to be honest, because I just, I love a good cocktail and I love a good glass of wine, but um, I just try to be more, more conscious about it. Organic wine, like avoid all those sulfates as much as possible. Tequila is, is probably the best one if you're going to drink anything. 
just a little bit of lime juice. Um, just keep it clear and simple, like no sugar, none of that bullshit. And then I had excision surgery, which is as a personal choice. It doesn't have to be for everybody. I, I want to have kids one day. So that's why it's important to, for me. If that's not something that that's important to you, then I recommend not putting yourself through the torture of it. Like you can make all the symptoms and everything like shrink, um, through uh, natural remedies. Um, I think, and again, I'm not a doctor, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing my best to explain my experience, but everyone, everyone's experience is going to be completely different. And then, um, yeah, the last thing is, uh, physical therapy. God, that, that has changed my life. Um, and there's a lot of opinions out there about it, but that has been the most helpful in addition to acupuncture, um, which you can do also, uh, internally. So I do pelvic floor physical therapy to be clear, which is internal physical therapy. So that's why people feel weird about it. There's lots of, lots of, um, conservative opinions that, that, that keep this treatment, uh, unavailable to most people. And I'm lucky that I live in the Bay area where it's not considered weird. And yeah, I mean, just really bringing attention and love to that space and being conscious in sex. Um, I think that that's a very, very, very big problem. A lot of people um, have super unconscious sex and uh, they, women are just like not prepared to receive and it causes a lot of tension in that space. Um, and there's some theories out there because there's really no understanding of how endometriosis happens or why it happens. Some theories do suggest that it might be from pelvic floor dysfunction that causes things to tighten and things to like grow in weird places. And in addition to other like, you know, environmental things like dioxins and chemicals and bullshit that's in our food, um, it might be just like fucking shit up a little bit, <laughs> excuse my language, just like messing things up down there um, and causing things to react weird because tension in your fascia, tension in your ligaments, trauma that lives in your fascia, that's stored in your cells is information from traumatic experiences, like all the ones I grew up with actually affect how your organs function. So, um, that's why the loving yourself is so important. And that's why like journaling and like really being honest with yourself about the trauma that you've experienced in your life and learning how to release it is super important, which brings me to the very last thing, which is therapy, which I'm going to later today. <laughs> I do, um, hypnotherapy just, just, to, I have a lot of experiences from my childhood that I've completely blacked out. And as I've been like unveiling them and revealing them, I can literally feel tension leaving my body. And I've got a long way to go because um, there's a lot of stuff to work through, but I'm like up for it. And I used to not be, and I can't tell you how liberating it is to just be like, okay, these are the demons. I'm going to face them and like slay. We're going to, we're going to make it, we're going to make it out. We're going to, it's, it's going to be okay. And, um, the amount of women that I've met along the way, especially over the last, so it's been four months since my surgery, since I'm doing regular doctor's visits. Um, I do a bladder installation once a week. I do acupuncture once a week, physical therapy, probably every other week. Cause that one's really expensive. Um, and, um, yeah, what else? That's it. Once that's, that's the once a week visits and the bladder installation, just, they, they shoot up like a bunch of cocktail drugs into your bladder because endometriosis can end up inside of your bladder as well, but they can't surgically remove that because it's your bladder. You, you need it. So yeah, so they'll shoot the drugs up and it calms it down. You can pee better for like a week. Um, peeing is, is another symptom. It's hard to pee with endometriosis, bowel movements, all that stuff. And yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the 
shortest way to say that, man, I'm sorry if it took so long, but I'm going to let you guys like take that it. That was in. amazing. <laughs> it's so informative. And I think like, it's interesting. You said multiple times, like I'm not a doctor. And I just thought to myself, yeah. And, and you probably know so much more about endometriosis than a lot of OBGYNs. And like, I know from personal experience, I've had really similar ones where even as things like I'll say, oh yeah, you know, my luteal phase has been really long lately. And the amount of <laughs> OBGYNs that go, you're what? Oh my. And it's such an interesting mixed blessing, I think, because on the one hand, like the lack of education and resources forces us to get really self-educated, which I think is a beautiful thing. But I don't think that that silver lining is worth the horrible uh lack of education in our healthcare system, particularly on women's wellness or womb yeah. wellness. I mean, yes, I, I'm so grateful that I know everything that I know now, but man, I'm 20 fucking years old. Like I should have known, I've been having my period mm-hmm. for like over a decade. Like I should have known this a long time ago, like a very long, we all should have known all of this a long time ago. Um, and the reason why we don't come is right back to the patriarchal thing. Mm-hmm. We, this is a shame subject. This is a mysterious it's not fucking mysterious so many women have it we all know what the symptoms are we all know how to fix it like it's well not all of us but like the women who have suffered long enough to understand it which is a very big growing number and it's beautiful like you said like how many women are super educated about this and passionate about this um but that's you know that's only the beginning like we need to be so passionate that it penetrates our entire educational system and educates not only women, but men as well, because men need to understand the significant damage that they're doing to a woman if they try to enter her before she is ready, before she is prepared. Even if she's saying yes, like do it. If she's not wet, like if she's not like lubricated, I'm like using very visceral language because there's no other way to explain it. Like she will have actual like friction that could lead lead to ablations that could lead to actual cervical dysplasia and a variety of different physical ailments that could affect her for the rest of her life. So these are the kinds of things that like need to be taught, I think, in like fifth and sixth grade. Now women are getting their periods very early and there's a way to do it that's completely respectful and bio- it's biology. I mean, it's, it's our bodies. It's, it's quite, it's quite uh, scientific if you just really break it down. And then from there, like you might have so many more doctors that are interested in studying this and understanding this and not treating it as something that's just a women's issue and leaving aside like zero funding for it. They just, I think they just um, secured like $8 million in funding. But if you compare that to the funding like for the next fiscal year of um, what's to be spent on, you know, through the government research on endometriosis, if you compare that to like what we spend on like asthma and like all these diseases that are actually much fewer than the 200 million women that are suffering from endometriosis, it's, it's embarrassing. You know, it's like $1 per person that suffers. It's like, we how is that going to get us far? I mean, and like the medicines that are available and all these treatments that I mentioned, most women can't afford that. It's, it's almost completely impossible to most women. And that 
that breaks my heart. And it also makes me feel super guilty for being one of the few people that can afford it. And not that I, I, I know I shouldn't feel guilty. I, I shouldn't feel guilty at all because I, I work hard for, for my life, but, and it, it's I, something that I have to spend, but it, I shouldn't, it shouldn't be that expensive. Well, like yeah, it, even if you work hard, you shouldn't have to, like that's, you shouldn't have to qualify why you deserve healthcare. Like no. as an Australian person, <laughs> it's the most insane thing to me. I saw a meme the other day that I showed my partner that was like, it said, oh, if I ever am sick or something, none of y'all better call the woo-wee wagon because I ain't like racking up a debt. And then underneath it had like a person being like, what the fuck? And yeah. my partner was like, oh yeah, that's funny. Don't call the ambulance. I'm like, what the hell? Like y'all are crazy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's super insightful. And I'm wondering, could you like speak a little bit more on how sex and endometriosis kind of tie together? Yes. Um, so I mentioned earlier that endometriosis causes um, the endometrial lining of your organs to grow on the outside of your organs. So this means that it's not just happening to your uterus. It's happening to other parts of your body potentially as well, depending on how bad the disease is, which is why it's super important that we catch it earlier than we, than we are. Um, it can grow in your diaphragm. It can grow in your lungs. It can grow in your throat. Um, so there's some women who actually like they'll bleed from, in, from their throat while they're on their cycle. That's not, I don't have that. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. There's such a spectrum and there's so many different symptoms. Some women have endometriosis and don't even know they have it. And then they try to deliver vaginally and they can't because everything is like all messed up Um, or things are in the wrong place. It's not messed up. Like it can be fixed. So I I don't want people to be discouraged. Like, like I said, like this, all this sounds horrible, but understanding it actually leads to fixing it. Right. So for my case, everything was tugged to the left. So, um, I'm lucky my boyfriend's dick goes to the left, <laughs> but, um, for most people that would hurt, right? Like, um, if, if, if it goes to the right and your uterus is curved to the left, like that's not going to be great. It's going to feel like you're kind of hitting a wall. And so, um, for me, in some cases, like in some positions, it does kind of feel like he's hitting a wall. Um, so I have to be super like, you know, communicative while we're having sex that like this works, this doesn't, um, cause it might hurt. And for me, most of the time it hurts after sex. Um, for some women with endometriosis, it hurts during, um, I think that it really just depends again on the woman. Um, but the most important thing is like understanding what works for you and what doesn't. Um, and this is something I don't understand at all, but there are a lot of women who have like vulvodynia, um, I think is what it's called. Um, and other, yeah, there's a variety of, yeah, vulvodynia, yeah, a variety of different things that can also be kind of coupled with endometriosis because of the um, pattern of tension that builds up from the pain. So, like each time you have your cycle or you're ovulating, you become um, conditioned to that pain, and your neural pathways um, like become heavier and heavier and heavier, and your expectation of that pain becomes um, much more fear based which only makes the pain worse and which causes your psoas and all these muscles around your hips to tighten up. And that can lead to just complete fear of anything entering you. So like when I'm on my period, I really don't even want to put a tampon in anymore. I don't even, I don't want to put even a cup in. I used to, I used to, I switched from a tampon to a cup many years ago. That was fine. And now I use nothing at all. Um, because I would rather just like, let it bleed. It feels so much more natural to me. Um, so awareness around all those kinds of things, I think helps 
me relax more so that I, when I am having sex, it's not, I'm not as afraid of what it might feel like. Um, and that also, I think for a lot of women out there who are listening, who don't have endometriosis or don't suffer from any of these things. Um, if you have pain at all during sex, like that's also not, not normal. And it might have something to do with understanding your own arousal and understanding your own body. Um, so the, the physical therapy is great, but like you could do that for yourself too, in just a loving way without it being like sexual or like trying to come or like trying to reach a particular, you know, place. It's just like understanding your body. And, um, like I do breathing exercises for my pelvic floor. Cause I, I do have pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, so like if you just put like one finger in and kind of hook it to the side, um, it's just, it's, got, it's not a sexual thing. It's a physical thing. Just feel your pelvic floor. It's very important. It's a voluntary muscle. So that's something that I think a lot of people don't understand. Your pelvic floor is a voluntary muscle and it actually releases as you inhale. Um, and I think that that's, uh, again, not something that not a commonly understood thing. People think that like, you, you know, when you're going to the bathroom, you're pushing, um, you shouldn't be pushing. You shouldn't be exhaling. You shouldn't be squeezing. You should be relaxing. So doing this breathing exercise, if you just hook your finger there and you breathe in, um, and I like to imagine almost like you're pouring water in a pitcher and the, the breath is going down into the container of your body and the water is hitting the bottom of the container, right? And then it fills up from the bottom up. So as you inhale, you're inhaling all of the breath into your pelvic floor and you'll feel it relax. And if you do the other side, you'll feel the difference. So like, because all my organs were tugged to the left, I lost control of my, the left pelvic floor a lot more than the right. So now after like a lot of therapy, I've gotten to like 90% of control of my pelvic floor on the right side, but my left side, it's still like 20, 30, because there's so much more to go. So, um, yeah. The, I think that just like I'm definitely doing these exercises while you're saying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can see that's the beauty of it, right? It's like you don't have to put your finger in there to feel it once you understand it. So like that's why I suggest putting the fingers. You can just feel like what the muscle is actually doing. That's what the physical therapist would, would teach you. Um, and I mean, you could teach yourself. I'm teaching you right now. Um, you can, you know, you can feel it. And then once you understand it, it's almost like a backwards Kegel. Like, right, like we're taught, that's another weird thing that we're taught as women, patriarchal, like, you know, bullshit. Like you don't need to be like, like, like tight. Like it's not, it's not good for you. Like it's not, it's just not like there's a time and a place for that. <laughs> and you can engage it when you want to, whether it's like in yoga, helpful, for, you know, jumping from your down dog up to forward fold or whether it's in sex, like you can, you can engage it when it's necessary. But most of the time, relax, you know, it's not, it's, it's not about your body is not about another person. It's about you. And like, you have to understand that like feeling it for yourself is incredibly important. And I think that like, even beyond sex, most humans only breathe into like, into like the top portion of their lungs which causes a lot of anxiety and like causes a lot of tension up here in your shoulders. So for everybody, everybody like out there in the world, it's really helpful to breathe all the way down into your pelvic floor and just like let the energy, the chi, whatever you want to call it, move all the way in and down 
so that it can then move all the way up and out. So actually, as you're exhaling, everything is contracting. And the reason it's contracting is because it's your everything wants to press and like release something, right? So as you inhale, everything relaxes. You're like, you can check in. You can have a little bit of a moment of like chill. And then as you breathe out, everything can press up and out. And that's, you know, that goes more, you can talk about that on a more like spiritual and like um, yoga meditation based level, like the chakras and all that stuff all day long. Um, but when it comes to the specifically the, the sacral chakra, that's your space of it's your womb, right? It's your creativity. It's your sensuality. It's your identity. It's your self-worth. It's your self value. And like, that's why these, all these components to healing are super important because everything in your life that has ever made you feel the opposite of those things, it's going to store itself in that space. And until you take the time to like fully recognize that like your body is worth so much more than just like giving it away to someone else just to do it, um, everything else will start to fall into place. And like the self-value and all the, all the bullshit, all the mood swings, all the stuff that lives in here can start to peel back. And like, you'll realize it really is all connected. It's energetic. It lives in our bodies. And in order to release it, we have to feel it. So like what I, what my teacher has told me many years ago, and I only understood like recently, <laughs> she told me this when I was like, I don't know, I was like 23 maybe when she said it. In order to heal, we must first reveal so that we can feel. So there's many ways to say it. Revealing leads to feeling, which leads to healing. It has to happen that way. There's no other way. That is so beautiful. And I love that you're touching on how important it is to get rid of this fucking ridiculous idea of like tight pussies. I am so over it. (laughs) It's so inventalizing and shitty. And it's funny, it's something that, like, to be honest, I only recently kind of occurred to me and unpacked within the past few years. And I remember saying to my partner, I want you to try to, like, not ever compliment my pussy in that way. And he's like, okay, well, what should I say then? I said, you can say, so strong. You're such a strong pussy. <laughs> I like that. Hell yes. Yeah, like we I have to be so with careful with our language, you know, like mm. that that in the intimate private moments as well, that we're not perpetuating these ideas. Cause you know, this might be a bit too woo-woo for some of our listeners, but I feel like your body is always listening and it hears what you say. It's like, oh, you want tight, bitch, I'll give you tight. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. And like, okay, look, there's if you have like particular things that you like or things that work for you in the bedroom, like go for it. Do it. We do whatever you need to, but like also understand that your body is actually listening to everything that's happening. And if it's something that is demeaning to you in some way, or doesn't like is the opposite of what you actually want to feel, particularly if you have like such tight issues down there that it's causing you pain, like maybe consider trying something different and see how it works. Because like, I, you know, I've been trying to say, um, like even just in your daily life, I've been trying to say, oh my goddess, <laughs> instead of, oh my God, because again, that's, it's like, I'm giving it away to like, this, not, not me. I am a goddess. I'm, a, I'm divine feminine. And like, I want everything that like I speak and the way that I like, you know, live my life and like praise my body to be 
oriented towards what is healing for me. So, I mean, that might be an extreme version um, and it might be too woo-woo again. Like I, I'm woo-woo and I'm proud of it. <laughs> but I, I, I think that at the end of the day, like we have so much research um, beyond the woo-woo that, sh- that proves that our body is listening. Like anybody listening that, that doesn't believe me, just Google epigenetics. E-P-I-G-E-N. I'm a bad speller. Um, you can go over, you, then you know what's next from there. <laughs> Epigenetics. Um, and it basically is the science that proves that our uh, cells, like our, our body, our DNA is inherited from our biological lineage three generations back. Um, and the things that happened to our grandparents affect our health today. And that our health today, how we treat our bodies today will not only affect our lives, but it will affect three generations from now. So it's pretty fucking selfish if you're treating yourself like shit, because you're going to give that to your kids and their kids. Um, and for, for everybody out there, it's like, I don't have time to do all this stuff. Like, well, my answer to everybody who says that is, do you have time to feel like shit? And like, to me, the answer is no. Like, I don't have time to feel like shit. I am unwilling to feel like shit. Um, and that doesn't mean that I don't do fun things. Like, I just went to Mexico City and I partied all weekend long. But, like, I had mezcal. And it's very clear. And it doesn't actually cause that much damage to your body. And once I felt like I, it was enough, I stopped. And, like, everybody else woke up the next day. I was like, oh, my face is upside down. And I was like, I feel great. <laughs> I drink water. <laughs> so, like, it's it's you can still have a wonderful time and, and do all the things that you love and eat all the food that you love. Um, when you travel, you can eat whatever you want because by the way, like their cheese is totally fine. It's just here that everything is bullshit, which could be a whole other podcast. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I went on a tangent. I, I just, you know, I'm so passionate about really understanding our health and our bodies and particularly when it comes to women's health, because our uterus is the reason why it's screaming. The reason why there's so many women that have this is because the uterus is the most absorptive tissue in the world. Full stop. Like it's just super absorptive. It is taking on all of the trauma of the entire planet right now. So even if nothing has ever happened to you in your life and you have no trauma whatsoever and you have these symptoms, you live in a world that is full of trauma. And there's a lot of things that happened like many, many years ago that you don't even know about that are living in your body. That might've happened to your parents. That might've happened to your aunt, your, to, you know, someone in your lineage, or even just somebody that touched you. Like there's a wonderful book out there. If anybody's like, you know, really wants to dive into this, it's called, it didn't start with you. I can't remember the name of the author. It didn't start with you. I don't have it on my bedside right now, but. Um, you can put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. It didn't start with you. Um, and he just explains it so well. Um, how it all works. And he gives you writing exercises um, to like really just take a deep dive into your past and to um, really ask yourself like some deep questions and write them through and then reread it. And then like, you know, you move through all these patterns and it really explains so much. Like I, 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 I can't, I can't speak more highly of the journaling aspect and like really understanding your past and how helpful that is to understanding your path towards healing. Right. And you've been, you've been encouraging people to like share their own kind of stories or experience, like with their periods too, right. With like the, the 
menstrual moon cycle survey thing you showed me when you were here last? Yeah, yeah. So I, I made that like just on a whim. Um, so when I woke up from my surgery, I was, so rewind a little bit. I was planning on writing a book about lunar living, which you might end up still, still writing. Um, and I was like working on a book proposal and I was like, I got to write this book. And so I'm going to write. And I spoke with a book agent. She was like, yeah, you got to get a little bit more personal. And I was like, personal, I don't want to go personal. And then I, all this shit happened. I, you know, the day after my 28th birthday, I, that was when I like actually like shit myself. And that was like the moment I like woke up in shit. I was like, okay, I'm going to have the surgery. I knew that the surgery was an option for about a year, but I was kind of just being a pussy about it. So I went ahead and did the surgery. I woke up from my surgery and it just hit me like a bolt of lightning. Like it was like, you have to dedicate yourself to this. Like, this is what everything up into your, up until this point, your life has led to, you have to just talk about it and write about it and share it. And I just started writing. I've been sharing blogs. Like, uh, I mean, every like couple of weeks, like it's a lot, each one's pretty long. So, um, I just, I have to share. And, um, and then I just decided, okay, I want to hear from more people. And I made this survey and the responses have been so beautiful and saddening and enlightening and varied. And also the same in so many ways that like, I just, I really want to hear from everyone out there and the amount of women that have come to me, the amount of women that I know that now have finally gone to their doctor and been like, do I have this and have confirmed that they have it is insane. I went on a, a month long trip through Asia and I met seven women. I'm pretty sure seven. So I think seven, seven women have had endometriosis over the course of one month traveling through, um, Australia. I got there. My, my friend who I was visiting, her roommate had it. Um, I, then I went to Bali, two girls there had it. Two of them were like, Ooh, actually, I think I might have that. And then another girl who I met up with just for the day, who's like a friend of a friend, she had it. And then I went to uh, China and I went to a comedy show and this guy, this idiot was making fun of periods during the comedy show. And I just was like, so fucking over it that I went up to the, the monitor and I asked to go next and I grabbed the mic and I got up on stage and I just started talking about periods. Like openly, honestly, I opened the floor to everybody to just ask questions about periods. Cause that's what he was asking for. He was like, I wish people had told me more about all the bullshit that my girlfriend would, would do when she got her. Like it was so fucking patriarchal and, and rude and like just sexist, honestly. Like it was just fucked. You are and, such a fucking badass for doing that. I'm obsessed. That's amazing. I had to. It was, I had, I had to, like, there was, it was just so, like, the universe was like, because I, I had been talking to people about, like, how I want to talk about this more. I mean, I've been, I've been talking to everybody more. And the universe was like, oh, you think you want to talk about this? Here, go ahead. Like, do it. And I did it. And I mean, it was, we ended up laughing. Me and the guy ended up, like, you know, we were friends, like, by the end of it. Um, like, he, he got, got what he asked for. He wanted education. Um, you know, I was just like, how many people here came from a womb? <laughs> like, all right, everybody, everybody came from a womb. So let's stop talking about this. Like it's something that you need to make fun of. Like, let's understand what really is going on. So people started asking questions like, can you go down on your girlfriend or period? I'm like, yeah, you can go down. I mean, just like stay uptown, like, and, and be just like, you know, be loving, be kind. Like that. Like, you, just, you're, you should praise your girlfriend while she's on her period. She is at her most, she's at her highest, like, priestess goddess like the, mo the her power is the strongest and like we, sh we should be waiting on women hand and foot women should be able to have the day off like i mean they're supposed to go on and on and on and then oh yeah by the way the guy's the guy's girlfriend had endometriosis the guy oh who was, yeah yes she Hot twist. 
she came up to me at the end and she was like, Hey, uh, thank you so much for, for sharing your experience and blah, 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 blah. Um, cause I never actually said the word endometriosis cause I didn't want to make it about me. I wanted to make, like, let them ask questions. And, uh, she said, uh, I don't know if you know what this is, but like those, everything that you said sounds a lot like endometriosis. I have endometriosis. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm so sorry. And like, I told her the, the books to read. I gave her like a list of stuff. And she was like, yeah, my doctor just told me like, I'm, I'm unable to have kids and just to give up now and just to have a hysterectomy. And that's not the answer. Hysterectomy will not make it go away, by the way. All the lesions will still be there. You'll still have pain without a uterus because like, it's on other stuff. Like it was on my, it's inside my bladder, it's on my bladder. It was on my rectum. It was like on my um, uterosacral like, uh, ligaments that connect your uterus basically to your body, like hold it together. My ureters that go up to your uh, uh, kidneys, right? Like all this stuff. It's like, it's not going to go away by just taking out the, the organ. I hope you drop. I hope you <laughs> drop the mic at the end, and we're just like, yeah, <laughs> boom. <laughs> I mean, blood is so sacred and so important, and I really agree. Like, I think there's no time in a menstruating person's life when they're in their power more fully than on their period. Like, it's a blood priestess is is how I think of it. It should um, be recognized. It really should. Yeah, like, and celebrated, not just monthly holiday. Yes. Yeah. Sadly, we are out of time for today, which really bums me out because I'm loving this convo. We have a question that we like to ask all our guests for their last question. I'm very, very curious to see what you're going to say. Mm. If you could give your younger self one piece of advice about sex, what would you tell her? Mm. That is a very interesting question. Ah. it's sacred. Like it's sacred. It's like, it's something that really is an expression of, you know, something important and passionate and meaningful to you and whatever form that comes, that, that, that comes up in for you. There are so many different ways to express that. Um, but don't just give it away to give it away, like be conscious about it. And I did that for a very long time as a teenager. And like, thought it was cool. It's not, it's not cool. And like a lot of teenagers, um, you know, don't want to hear it, but, um, I wish that I had really understood that because I really do think that a lot of the trauma that lives in my body now, um, has to, has a lot to do with the, um, way that I basically just like allowed others to, um, dictate my body for me. I think that's the best way to put it. So beautiful. And definitely a, a principle I would say that we honor and uphold at the podcast is sex is sacred. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming and joining us today, Paula. This was such a beautiful episode and I'm I know this is going to be so valuable to everyone listening, not just people with endometriosis, because I think these topics really are overarching for anyone with a body that wants to feel fucking well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really, that's why I always say like the womb, the womb is not exclusive to women. Like every person has a creative center, a sick, a sacral chakra, um, that is constantly, um, engaging with 
with your life and with it's collecting information and storing information and even like men like they they have reproductive organs as well that are continue sending information and timestamps into the universe like so in the epigenetics realm it's like the women send the history and the the men send the timestamp so um that that's a whole other conversation um, but yeah yeah epigenetics is very interesting so that i really think that that's if anybody takes anything from any of this like this could apply to anything that you experience like any trauma that you have in your life any weird mysterious like even asthma like allergies um you know all these different things take a look you, you, there's ways to um to really understand it on on a deep level that can help you long term rather than having to continue to take bullshit drugs or you know waste your time on things that don't work fuck yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right thank you so much all right bye bye Hey there, Toski here. So I wanted to take a quick moment to share with you all about how you can support the Sex Magic Podcast. If you haven't already, you should follow us on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page. Pretty much everything is under Sex Magic Podcast. You can also find us at sexmagicpodcast.com and we have all of our links there. But most importantly, we recently launched our Patreon and it's really important to support us because our collective of co-hosts offers a diverse perspective on sex and magic. Though we each come from various backgrounds and cultures, our unifying passion is to empower and explore sexuality, spirit, and the occult in a safe and approachable environment. Each week, we offer a new episode on a fresh subject in the realm of spirituality and sexuality. We interview a variety of guests, from authors to psychologists to witches and beyond. We strive to share content that is educational, inspirational, and mystical. So join us on our journey through sex magic by supporting the work we do. Every dollar goes towards propelling us forward and will allow us to continue creating podcasts. By supporting our podcast, you'll join our community and be part of the conversation. Our Patreon patrons will gain access to various resources, rituals, recipes, and behind-the-scenes access. With more funding for our Sex Magic podcast, Coven can dedicate more time to crafting sacred offerings to our supporters, sex magic courses, videos, spell books, and we really would love for you to be part of our sexy little coven.